Wretched Radio begins in 3, 2, 1. Now I can preach it like this, okay? Repent! Or I can tell you, change your mind. Preaching repentance in the area of consciousness of sins is dishonoring the work of Jesus. Repentance means you realize you're guilty, that you deserve the wrath and punishment of God. You begin to realize that sin is in you, and you turn your back on it in every shape and form. You renounce the world, whatever the cost, and you deny yourself and take up the cross and go after Christ. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Let's do this. It's the Wretched Radio mail call delivery bag Q&A infotainment nationwide extravaganza Featuring your voicemails, correspondences, communiques, dispatches, memorandums, and missives. Any special message for all the kids watching at home? What we need right now is a clear message to the people of this country. You have 1,200 messages. That is a bit above average. Now, here's your host, Todd Freakishly Tall Freel. The mail is here! Ooh, this is Wretched Radio in a very fine mood for two reasons. Number one, we cleaned off the deck and we can sit outside. Pollen season is over in the South. Whoop. And Didu, the second reason I'm tickled pink is because you continue to send great stuff to idea at wretched.org. Sermons, stories, articles, and questions, comments, conundrums, snarks. It makes us very happy. So thank you. You made me happy. Oh, How did that song go? I don't know. And, 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 and very <laughs> happy. Like and I know what you're saying, Friel. You're making us miserable. All righty, <laughs> let's get to it. Idea at wretched.org. All right, we start with Jeff. Make someone happy. And stop singing. Make that special someone <laughs> happy. All right, Jeff wants to know, Todd, is it appropriate for Christian men and women to use worldly language when referring to their spouse? Like? Your smoking hot wife, <laughs> hunky husband. <laughs> there was another evangelical trend talking about my smoking hot wife. Maybe it still is for all I know. Uh, would I refer to my wife as smoking hot? Not a chance. You say, what? Well, what if she's attractive? I say, why would I want to highlight something that is easily perceived as being sexual in nature? Furthermore, putting the spotlight on the external, it's not that it's wrong to do that. Can you say your daughter comes down the stairs? She's all dressed. Oh, you look beautiful, honey. Sure, you can do that. But that's different than identifying an individual, particularly my spouse, as having sexual attributes. Smoking hot. It's not even an innuendo. Anybody in the world, if you went to somebody sitting on a bus stop and said, hey, that woman over there smoking hot. He's going to say, you know what? I agree with you. She does appear to be well-read and have internal qualities of gentleness and meekness, which are so pleasing to the Lord. No, they're going to be like, rah, rah, yeah, 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 that's hot right there. So would I use that language? No, no, I wouldn't. Please send emails to me. Stick in the mud. Idea at wretched.org. All right. Uh, this one do is. You agree? I do. I completely agree. I completely agree. How okay, you, what's the difference between smoking hot and my sexy wife? Uh, nothing. My simmering babe of a wife. Yeah. It's like, come on, what am I pointing toward? I think for the aforementioned reasons alone, that's sufficient. But also, we're, we're really playing into the worldly hand that judges everything on externals. That's why so many things, they aren't made of gold. 
they have a gold sheen or a gold whatever the filament that they put. That's just not really. We just want it to look that way because everything is external. That's not the way God views it. Take a look at first Peter. What is a woman to be like? What is pleasing to God with a wife? Gentleness, quiet spirit, a woman who is an absolute joy to be around, internal attributes, love, joy, peace, etc. Those are so pleasing to God. Why didn't we see that evangelical trend? This is my wife. I call her fruit of the spirit woman. Why didn't we have that trend? Because we fall into the worldly trap of identifying everything that is good as being external, not the way that God does it. sir. If you have a wife who is godly, dude, (laughs) you have found a treasure. You have found a treasure. And just because your wife's physicality perhaps doesn't qualify her for being smoking hot, who cares? Seriously, do you see anything in the Bible where God says, you know, I looked down on this child. uh, They were a sinful rascal. But man, what a babe. What a hunk. You don't see it because externals in God's economy, idea at wretched.org. All right. uh, We move on to Rick. Todd, how does the Holy Spirit testify with our spirit as mentioned in Romans 8? What form uh, does this communication take? Yeah, yeah. That's a good question because the context really has to shape this. Not only the context of Romans chapter 8, but the context of the entire New Testament Is Christianity a mystical religion? Now, make that case from the Bible. Now, you could find some verses and suggest this is that. But I just think that clearly throughout the Bible, and the Bible itself indicates it's not a mystical faith. Why? Because it's an articulated faith. It is a faith that has codified what it believes and that what you should know That's the emphasis. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're a thinking faith. So your spirit testifies with the Holy Spirit in that it's in alignment. It's in agreement. You will have, dare I say, a peace about certain things. Now, you want to be careful. Don't make decisions based on having peace or not having peace. That might be a warning sign, but that isn't the leader in our decision making. But if you're taking a look at something and you're trying to think it through and you go, you know, that is right, salutary and good. Oh, then 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 you're experiencing what Paul is describing. But it's not kind of a mystical feeling or that somehow he's inside of you, which he is warming you. By excluding your brain, he's teaching you through your brain, which then affects your will, your emotions, your affections, and your directions. Be careful. Don't let this singular verse cause you to think that there's just, I got, I've got, i got this feeling. And, and, and if you have, by the way, if you do have a peace about you, how does God grant you that peace? How does he do that? Does he just kind of Calm you down? Well, the answer is he can do that. He certainly can. And I wouldn't say that it's a sin to suggest, no, he would never do that. But his normative operation is through the noggin that you think about things that bring you peace, not just a mystical sensation. 
Can God do that? Yes. Do I think that he does? Yeah, I, I actually do. Where he just gives me a supernatural peace, even when I'm not thinking rightly about the Bible. So that is why we want to fill our brains with Bible so that what it produces via the emotions and the will is in alignment with him. And as we do, our spirit testifies with his spirit. Idea at wretched.org. All right, this next question comes from Matt. Todd, how should believers handle situations where local churches avoid taking biblical stances on sensitive issues like gender identity due to societal pressures? With an awful lot of grace and respect for your elders. That's how. If you're concerned that your pulpit isn't thundering enough on a social issue, that could be genuine, but it might not be. In other words, your pastor might have reasons for not speaking on a particular issue, and that can range everything from, and probably about a million shades in between, hey, we're dealing with this particular issue right now in this church. Okay, there's an individual that is in this church right now who is going through something, and if this subject is brought up from the pulpit, then... That person is right on the ledge of suicide. So I'm just waiting to deal with. Okay, I'm making it up, but you get the point. He knows stuff that's going on. It could be that he is so committed to expository preaching that unless my text deals with that issue, I don't talk about that stuff. I am 100% constrained by the text. Now, you could you could make the case that there are times when he should speak out move away from the text du jour and speak on this issue because it's impacting the congregation. But at least we could understand why the pastor might not be speaking on it. Now, there's another reason he might not be speaking out on it. He's a capitulator or he's being a coward. He's afraid that if he talks on this issue, he could lose 30% of his church and money is so tight right now. If we lose them, man, I'm going to have to get a job. Because ministry is not a job. Ministry is ministry. It's not a job. Brothers, we are not professionals. You're in ministry. And there could be those pastors who, Erwin Lutzer, I think, coined these categories when he said, you've got yourselves the capitulators, the complete cowards that will, actually not capitulators, the coward would be a category. <laughs> capitulators, well, I, yeah, I agree with you, but just a under wraps. And then you've got the courageous. Be careful that you don't get mad at your pastor for not speaking on something that is currently hot for you. And I grant you, it might be hot for the church. It might even be hot in the culture and in the world. What should you do then? Well, it's obvious. You should blog about your pastor and tell everybody what a yellow-bellied coward he is. Sorry, that's not what you should do. You should respectfully approach him, sit down with him and say, Pastor, I love you. Love your preaching. I love how you've helped my family so much. Your service, mm, unmatched. Thank you, sir. I am curious. Respectfully, why don't you preach on some of these hot button issues? And then what will you do? You will actually hear from the horse's mouth. This is Wretched Radio. 
busy, busy, busy. Last year, Preborn Ministries provided over 92,000 ultrasounds, 54,000 babies were saved, 69 ultrasound machines were placed, 10,000 people responded to the gospel. Preborn Ministries, very busy, saving babies, saving souls. Would you please consider partnering with Preborn Ministries? $28 per ultrasound, five ultrasounds, $140. Yes, they are expensive, but they save lives. And Preborn Ministries uses good equipment with trained specialists, which is why the success rates are so staggeringly high at saving lives with preborn. Please consider supporting preborn at preborn.org slash wretched, preborn.org slash wretched. Hey, thank you so much for listening to Wretched Radio today. We appreciate your support and listening, and now we're inviting you to prayerfully consider leveling up and becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner. Ephesians 6.13 tells us to take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day. My friend, you and I, we're in this together, and we need to stand firm in our mission to share the gospel with millions of souls all over the world. And by becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner, trust me, you'll be doing more than just helping us pay the electric bill. You'll be empowering us to produce top-notch, theologically sound content that both captivates unbelievers and inspires fellow believers to dive deeper into their faith. So if you've ever nodded along with any discussion you've ever heard here on Wretched, now's the time for you to join our ranks and become an ongoing monthly gospel partner. Just visit wretched.org slash donate or text the word Wretched to the number 44321. Wretched, amazing grace, amazing gospel. You're familiar with this sound. You're sitting in church. Your pastor is preaching. You have your John MacArthur study Bible open. The pastor is reading the scripture and all of a sudden you hear... Everybody in church turning the page because they all have the same MacArthur Study Bible. Why? Because it is so helpful to be able to read study notes underneath the verses to really grasp what God's Word is trying to teach. How would you like to share the joy of putting a John MacArthur Study Bible into the hands of a believer in the Philippines? They typically make about $12 to $15 per, not hour, per day. It's a luxury item, and it would be such a blessing. $25 a Bible, four Bibles, $100, or perhaps you could send a Bible to a brother or sister in the Philippines every single month. Would you please consider doing that to bring joy to our brothers and sisters? Wretched.org slash Bible. Know your church fathers. Clement of Rome lived from A.D. 30 to 100, was a student of the Apostle Peter, and served as the Bishop of Rome. He wrote a letter to the troubled church in Corinth, warning against envy and immorality, emphasizing humility and repentance. His letter continued to be read during worship services for 80 years. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. If Jimmy Durante can have a hit, why, oh, why can't I? It's so important to make someone this happy. This is Wretched Radio. Make just one someone Indeed, happy. you've made someone make happy when you continue one. to send wretched stuff. That means anything you see on the internet that is wretched. 
the theological use of the term. Send to idea at wretched.org. It makes us very, very happy, including your questions, comments, conundrums, and snarks. All right. This one comes from Joshua, and it's actually a good question. Uh, Todd, is it considered sinful for an adult to order from the kids menu. Ah, <laughs> yes. As if, if they here I I would I would make an exception. I I think there's a spirit and there could be a letter of this law. And I know I've actually thought this through because I have to confess to you I I've never kept it a secret. Jack Benny thought I was a little too frugal. I'm tight. <laughs> so when we used to go out, for instance, I remember going to Culver's they're now in the South, but it was really a mid. What's the matter? No, what you were saying. Which I know what you're about to say. What about Culver's? They're their ice cream. Oh, no, 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 no. Go ahead. I, I may be uh, the kids in. meal. It's exactly the same size as a regular hamburger. I know it. What a <laughs> deal, which means I got to finish what they didn't complete. <laughs> Love that. And then they got free ice cream and it was such a deal. And then the kids became an age above the limit. That was a transition time for me that wasn't easy. I'm going to be honest <laughs> with you. I became this guy. Now, water's fine. They Water's fine. $2.25 for a glass of Coke. You're going to get a glass of water. That was a, that was a tough deal for me, but I think we need to make that adjustment because if the establishment with which we are doing commerce says, here's the rules, we abide by those. Now, if you ask the wait person who may or may not have the authority to make this decision, hey, um, I'm not very hungry. Could I just order the chicken fingers off of the kid's meal? Because that's that's really all I want. Otherwise, I'll just sit here and have a breadstick. And they go, sure, you can do that. No problem. That's our attitude here. Fine. But skirting around the rules to try to save a penny. If you can't afford what's on the menu, then don't go out. Now, what if they don't say 12 and under only or whatever the rules are? And it just says kids menu. Well, let's say you're, I don't know, 40. I think there's a collective agreement. You ain't a kid no more. We should be the people that always err way to the right on the right side of the law, way away from the rules, not pushing it, not pressing it. Hey, well, okay. She's 12 and a half and it says under 12, but it's still 12. Um, let's let's be rule keepers. Even when you go to Culver's idea at wretched, but the price going out to eat became a different deal when the kids started to get older. Oh, yeah. You know, I, growing up, I was uh, 11 for four years. <laughs> My mom would say, you're so 11 you're, today. Don't you? Don't your parents anything. would have answered that question differently. <laughs> yes, they would. In other words, yeah. <laughs> Don't let your parents hear this idea at wretched.org. <laughs> All right. Uh, like, they, like they listen to you anyway. That's right. I'm sorry. Did I just pick open a scab? No, it's okay. It's You're working okay. through it? I, I'm, You've I'm, had some biblical counseling? Greg and I talk frequently. <laughs> oh, oh, that gives me an opportunity. Seriously, you have got to get on board the Transform podcast with Dr. Greg Gifford. Honestly, the, I, I, I think right now, Close to 5,000 subscribers. Mm. Now, that's subscribers, not listeners. I haven't looked at those numbers lately. That's a juggernaut for a podcast. It's been going on for a few months. And the reason that it is catching on like wildfire is because it's so good. His series on biblical manhood, so helpful. In fact, I'm going to plagiarize. Why? Hey, hey. 
Don't the pastors in the SBC get away with it? Why, oh, why can't I? He asks again. He lays out the different categories for considering biblical manhood. Who defines what it means to be a man? First of all, you've got physical. Your body's made a certain way. No matter what anybody suggests these days, there's a difference between boys and girls. That's clear. That's not the only thing that makes a man a man. Society has determined certain, I don't want to say norms, but we'll call them, I don't want to use behaviors. Expectations. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's more It's more than that. There are social constructs where we've determined, hey, this is kind of what a dude looks like. And this is what a dudette looks like. So all these social constructs that say this is more masculine than feminine. That's the category that gets tricky because what culture says isn't necessarily what the Bible endorses. What the culture says can be absolutely positively wrong. Furthermore, the culture has a tendency, like far too many men's conferences, to focus on behavioral mm, athletics, it's hobbies, sports, activities. They've got to be manly or they've got to be delivered this way or we've got to deliver the message while bending an iron bar. All externals that are socially informed. This is why it gets tricky because the Bible says that a man should be strong. There are all kinds of not only inferences, but directives that men are the protectors, the providers. And we are naturally stronger, and that is our role. Now, how does that manifest itself? Does that mean I need to bench 325? No, it doesn't. Society would say the more you can bench, the manlier you are. No, the more you can bench, the stronger you are. That happens to be, let's say, more of an attribute of the male sex. But that doesn't make you a man. Society says it does. And like I said, too many of these men's conferences in churches do the exact same thing. I'm actually working on a script for this right now for a social media clip. I've been looking at these videos on the YouTube machine of these men's conferences that will even have some good teaching like, hey, it's not about physicality. Is somebody on a motorcycle jumps over the pastor's head? What? Are you, what? Okay, it's not, a, but everything here and you're blowing things up and there's a tank with with a with a Chuck Norris lookalike popping out of the tank. What are you saying here? Being tough? Bellicose? That's male. See, here's where it gets tricky. We should be the warriors. We should be the ones who march off to war. Not the women, men. So you go, well, the tank, see, there it is. Well, yeah, but that's, it's sending the message that, ah, this, ah, this is what it means to be male. We fight. Men fight to defend and to protect and to, if necessary, depending on how you understand it and define it, to enact justice. But that doesn't make you a man. The third category helps us to determine what it means to be masculine. It's the biblical category. And if you, for instance, go read Titus chapter 2. Let's just do that right now, shall we? Titus chapter 2, it lays it out for old men. So probably men above 60 in view when when Paul writes to Timothy, this is how 
old men are supposed to act. And one of my favorite words in there is semnus, honorably dignified. Nobody should look at a man over 60 and go, dude, what's with the skinny jeans? Why don't you have socks on? Why are you wearing those kids' tennis shoes? You look like you're a surfer. What are you going for? It's not just clothing. It's activity. It's the way we comport ourselves. Paul gives a laundry list of attributes that make a man a man. Here they are. Titus chapter 2. Speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. Does that have anything to do with how much you can bench press? No. Now, you can go find those verses elsewhere. Be strong. Act like a man. That in First Peter, talking about protecting wives with the vivid picture of the arm around the shoulder, like, I got you, babe. Not in a sunny and share kind of way, but I'm going to protect you. My strong arm will be flexed to defend you. Now, he then gets into women, but we're talking about dudes right now. Likewise, exhort the young men to be, what do you think Paul would say? Really good at gaming? Mm, disrespectful? Know-it-all? Nope. Be handsome? Mm -mm, skinny and pretty? Nope. None of it. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pat to have a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned. Some of Paul's descriptors for what it means to be a man reject worldly identifiers of masculinity. Having said that, you don't want to operate outside of them. You don't want to look like a sissy in today's culture. If you're in Scotland playing bagpipes, well, we'll be praying for you. But don't be wearing that skirt in America because you're going to be identified as being feminine because that is not a social norm. Unless, of course, you're Harry Styles. Is it Harry Styles? Henry Styles. That's the new kid on the block kid that's wearing skirts on magazines. We want to be aware of it, but what genuinely drives what it means to be male found in the Bible and on Dr. Greg Gifford's Transform podcast. This is Wretched Radio. And it is now time for a Wretched News Break here on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks, and we start today with a victory for religious freedom. The U.S. Department of Justice has come to the defense of a Christian charity that's been battling a city's attempt to hinder their mission in feeding the homeless. The ministry faced opposition from local officials who imposed regulations on their operations, but now the DOJ intervened and asserted that the city's actions violate the charity's constitutional rights. Chalk that up to things you don't see every day. Moving on, George Barna has issued a warning about the growing threat of syncretism in America. Syncretism, for those unfamiliar, refers to the blending or mixing of different religious beliefs and practices. Barna argues that syncretism undermines the core tenets of the Christian faith and erodes the moral fabric of our society. Touche, George. Well, in Texas, the Attorney General's office has launched an investigation into alleged sex change procedures performed on minors. Concerns have arisen over medical professionals administering irreversible treatments without proper consent or considering the long-term consequences. You know, I'm not sure why these things aren't criminal. I mean, in one breath, the left screams abortion is health care, and in the next, attempts to justify mutilating children. It shouldn't be baffling to us anymore, but honestly, some days it is. 
Now to Canada, where the city of Calgary has enacted strict restrictions on pro-life flyers featuring images of aborted babies. The city council claims that such images are distressing and offensive. So the truth is offensive. Imagine that. A self-proclaimed misinformation expert has recently compiled a list of so-called red flag phrases that supposedly signal lies and extremism. That's right. And you have to watch the video to fully appreciate it. But some of these phrases are absurd. One of the phrases on the misinformation experts list is water is wet. Apparently, stating the obvious is now considered a sign of falsehood when there's such a proliferation of categorizing everything you disagree with as misinformation, the end result is not going to be good. This has to stop. But unfortunately, I, I don't see that happening. Meanwhile, back in Canada, it seems that more schools are discarding traditional celebrations of Mother's and Father's Day in the name of inclusivity. And I get it. Look, I do. I understand. I know several people that fall into the category of having lost their parents or, or maybe don't have parents at all. But the answer to inclusion is inclusion, not exclusion. Instead of neglecting to honor the role mothers and fathers play in our lives, why not find ways to include the children who are hurting? It's really not an impossible feat. And that's been today's Wretched News Break. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible Philippians was written by Paul from a Roman prison. It is often called the Epistle of Joy for its encouraging tone. In this letter, Paul encourages the Philippians to live in a manner worthy of the gospel by steadfastness and humility in Christ and cheerful obedience to God, who is working in us to bring about His good pleasure. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Now, like, seriously? Send questions, comments, conundrums, snarks to idea at wretched.org. We've got a lot of time to fill. This is Wretched Radio. As promised, Friel, it's been like two years you've been talking about this. As promised, we are going to do a week dedicated to mailbag. That means... We need a filled bag with your questions, comments, conundrum, snarks, sent to idea at wretched.org. Jimmy, are you looking forward to that week? I am. Mm, me too. <laughs> are you? It's, it's funny. This is the sweatiest day of the week for me. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Or it could be I just looked at that thing on my counter and discovered I'm not wearing antiperspirant. I'm wearing deodorant. That's not good. You don't want that. You don't want a cover-up. You want it to stop. Friel, please stop with the hygiene speculations and get to questions, comments, conundrum snarks to idea at wretched.org. All right. This one is from Anonymous, who says, Todd, I don't know what the biblical answer is to step family, but I would like to honor my stepmom, uh, not only as my father's wife, but as someone who has had a major spiritual influence in my mm. life by Sweet. a by acknowledging her as mom. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering if that's dishonoring to my biological mother, since the two of them don't really have the best history. Yeah, it it yeah, I, there's a reason you're struggling with it, because that is a potential. She could be. Do I think it's wrong to call her mom? No, I don't. I think it's sweet. I always love that. I, I have to confess, whenever I see an in-law calling the in-law dad, mom. I'm like, oh, that's sweet, man. That's close. I, and, and for me, it wouldn't offend me. 
but I can certainly understand that it really could be troublesome for biological mom. So how should you handle it? You might want to just think about strategically talking to one or the other. And you, knowing their personalities, sensitivities, relationship level, where they're at in the faith, if at all. You could approach, for instance, stepmom and say, hey, I just want you to know I love you so much and I esteem you so highly. <sighs> My heart just cries out to call you mom. And I'd love to honor you in that way. I don't even know if you're comfortable with that, but for the sake of my relationship with my biological mother, I'm just going to have to stick with calling you Helen. I sure wish maybe someday it will. I just wanted you to know my heart on this. Okay. Or you could go to Helen and say, hey, I want you to know because you might overhear this and I don't want you to be upset by this because this does not mean that I esteem you any less. But Ruth, she's she's the stepmom, Ruth has been so uh, close to me and so helpful in so many ways. I want to honor her while not dishonoring you by calling her mom. So if you hear that, please don't think you're being replaced. It really depends on which way you think that you should go with that. And if in doubt, I would suggest you withhold that honorary title. If you don't know for sure what to do, don't. Not that that's the way to approach every situation in life. But because you're talking about doing something that is culturally has it does have some baggage to it. And if there's potential for it to hurt people, then I would say don't do it and find another way to express your love and your gratitude toward Ruth. Idea at wretched.org. Jimmy, you okay with that? I think so. I think so. It's a delicate subject, especially if, if it's different if the two got along. You know, the, yeah. But since there's been some history there between them, that's not been the best. I, I would say it's it's a tightrope to walk. Yeah. 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 I, I, I I yes. It, it, it look it there's and there's there. Not only that, not only do you have Ruth and Helen, you got the kids involved. Hmm. Hey, wait a second. She's our mom. What are you calling her mom when she's. Our... So it's it's got some challenges to it. If in doubt, I would say withhold using that title. Yeah. That's my take. All right. Well, we and which, by the way, just in case we need to be reminded, my take is always right because <laughs> I am a talk show host. That's it. That's how it works. <laughs> and we move on now to uh, Greg. Greg says, Todd, how were the chapters and verses in the Bible determined historically? Why do the breaks sometimes appear in the middle of a thought or yeah. at seemingly odd places? Boy, there's some there's some bad ones. Okay. Uh. I'm working through Ephesians. I would you want to you want to have an exciting way to engage with your Bible. Ah, uh, I don't have it in this Bible, but let's do it anyway, shall we? I'm working through Ephesians and I'm noticing repeated words. Anytime you see that, it's like, okay, I'm gonna zero in on this because it's a smack. I'm repeating it so that you get this. And you and I, we know the breakdown of Ephesians, the first three chapters. And by the way, those identifications made centuries, century, like 1400, 1500 for the identification of where things are, locations. They are not a part of the text there. By the way, the descriptors underneath the Psalms, that's actually a part of the text. So you, when it says a Psalm of Korah or whoever, I guess it wouldn't be Korah, a Psalm of whatever the name of the guy is. 
That's actually in the Bible as inspired writ. The numbers and the chapters, they aren't. And sometimes they totally biff it. But in Ephesians, the first three chapters are all about gospel. We've heard that. And then it's application. But as I'm making my way through Ephesians 1 through 3, I'm noticing that maybe just maybe this is another case to be made that you and I as conservative biblicists think a little bit more about the love of God. Now, don't panic on me. Just listen to this lingo. Now, this is going to be Ephesians, and you're going to hear repeated words. One of the repeated words, incidentally, is the word riches. The riches, the riches, the riches, the riches. And it's all about God's softer attributes, his grace and his benevolence and his kindness and his mercy and his love. So listen to these these words. Let's just, well, Ephesians chapter one, Paul, an apostle of Jesus to the saints. Okay, hold on. That's a benevolent phrase for you. You are a holy one. God sees you as a saint. Even though you don't behave like one, he sees you as a saint. Wow. What kind of a God would see me as a holy one? Grace to you. Okay, grace. Stop right there. We see grace a ton. What is grace? Not only is it unmerited favor, it's ill-merited favor. You don't. You deserve the exact opposite. Grace. Grace to you. From who? God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only grace to you and peace. Peace, P, God, the God of the universe comes to me in terms of peace. Yes, because of Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Wow. You better not preach through Ephesians 1 through 3 and not be effusive about the kindness, the goodness, and the graciousness of our God. If you turn Ephesians 1 to 3 into a theological screed, demanding particular fidelity to some area of disputation throughout church history. You're missing it. And I wonder if we're not missing it a lot these days, just as he chose us. Now, you can turn that into a, a, a sermon on election, and I would have no problem with that. But wait a second. He chose, he, he, he chose me. So you mean this is like being the shortest one in the lineup for choosing sides for basketball and the cool dude picks me. <laughs> and this is a exponentially grander scenario before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him. Here it is in love, in love, having predestined us to adoption. Wait in love. He, he adopts us as sons by Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will. This is a good God we're talking about. To the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the crabby, the stern, the loud. No, in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. According to, here's the word, riches overflowing, where sin did abound, grace superabounded, riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. There it is again, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both of which are in heaven and on earth. In him, we've obtained an inheritance 
hold it. He's written me into his will, if you will. You mean I have, I have an inheritance? Me? You see those home shows? Well, how did you get the money for this house? Well, windfall. Uncle died. Got a bunch of money. That's what's happened to you times about a gazillion, million, trillion, billion, infinite. Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works together all things according to the counsel of him in whom you have trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You were sealed in the Holy Spirit. You're sealed. You, 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 you can't be broken open and released from God's hand. You're sealed in the Holy Spirit. Until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. That's another thing you see a lot in Ephesians 1, 2, to the praise of his glory. He's doing all of this to the praise of his glory. Don't miss this in your Bible. God is is indeed a God of righteous wrath. But you can't miss his love. This is Wretched Radio. Ah, some good news. Two encouragements from the Tomorrow Clubs. They have hundreds of weekly kids meeting clubs in Eastern Europe, but now they've expanded to Africa and the kids are swarming the Tomorrow Clubs. They have never seen greater attendance than the hundreds of new clubs that they are opening up in Africa. That should encourage all of us. The gospel is going forth and reaching kids in unreached places. Encouragement number two, would you like to become a Tomorrow Clubs ministry partner? Your support will help the Tomorrow Clubs open up even more Tomorrow Clubs and reach even more kids with the gospel. Please consider becoming a ministry partner at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. You know, what used to be a movie is now our sad reality. We're living in a world that's gone absolutely bonkers. So much so that six mads just aren't enough to describe it. Social media may be bombarding us left and right. Our Christian worldview may be under assault. But we have the dynamic duo of Todd Friel and Dr. Nathan Buznitz. And they're coming to the rescue with Wretched Worldview 2. Tackling 22 of those pesky, thorny, contemporary issues through a biblical lens, helping us to defend the biblical view on things like sexuality and gender, critical race theory, modesty and apparel, persecution, secular entertainment, environmentalism, 22 issues to be exact. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to wretched.org, grab your copy of Wretched Worldview 2. And hey, while you're there, snag that study guide too, because it's the perfect companion for navigating this mad, 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 mad world with wisdom and grace. I know how you're feeling at the thought of switching from traditional health insurance to MediShare, which is affordable biblical health sharing. That's a big decision and it can be kind of scary, which is why Mrs. Freel and I researched MediShare and determined, yeah, we can trust this ministry. Christians paying for the health needs of other Christians. It's a magnificent ministry. 98% member satisfaction rate. It's amazing. The average family saves 
$500 per month. If that sounds intriguing, and I hope it does, please do your research. Visit metashare.com slash wretched, metashare.com slash wretched, or call them and talk to a really nice person at 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE. The fruit of the Spirit is evidence that God is working in us. Every believer will evidence this fruit. But it is important to remember that bearing fruit is a consequence of salvation, not a requirement for salvation. God is working in us and through us, and He is a source of this fruit, not us. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Uh, <laughs> 1560. Duh! This is Wretched Radio. I was warm. I said that the chapters and verses were added. 14, 1500s, having artificial intelligence, which is the only type of intelligence I actually possess. The year was 1560. That's when it began. It gained in popularity lickety split because there are pros to having chapters and verses in your Bible, which indicates there are cons. If you want to do something different with your Bible, Get a get a transcript that doesn't have chapter and verses. It reads differently. You find a flow and you're able to read the whole even as you read the parts. I think that one of the cons to having chapters and verses in the Bible, and believe me, I like that they're there. But there is a danger because you start to read it in chunks. You read this paragraph and you've got decisions that were made for you by other people that maybe aren't so good. Uh, Colossians 3 and 4, the chapter break, they're really weird. If I recall, three and I think it's 3 and 4. It just should have, it's like, ah, you're off by a verse. Here's another one that I just discovered last night, I think, when I was reading through Ephesians 1 through 3, highlighting all of the, whoa. Ways that God interacts with his people, the good ways, the gracious way, the rich ways, the lavish ways. I challenge you to do that. Read through Ephesians 1 through 3. And as you do, just highlight all of the words that are nice about God, that are good about, that are kind about God. You're going to be shocked for he himself is our peace. In love, he did this. In love, he predestined. And all of all of these things that God has done for us in Christ are packaged in his benevolent attributes. You might want to do this exercise if perhaps your main thinking about God has been more of a focus on his stern attributes. That you remember, hold on, Christian, God isn't mad at you anymore. God loves you. And when you read through Ephesians 1-3, it is absolutely palpable. God, who is rich in mercy. That's that rich term. You'll you'll see rich five, six, seven times. But God, who is rich. I mean, he's got got the, it's not, you can't contain his mercy in a bank. He's rich in mercy, which by the way, he describes himself as being in Ephesians, uh, Exodus 34, six. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, Hold on. You didn't get the point because of his great love with which he loved us. We were dead. You mean he took a corpse 
and made it alive. He didn't take a king and, and, and make him a citizen of his kingdom. No, he took a dead man. He took a dead woman. He took a corpse because of his love with which he loved us and made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Let's Paul repeats that phrase three times in chapter 2, 1 through 11. He can't help it. You just got to remind, by grace, by grace, by grace, all of these things come to you. Don't miss that. Now, case in point for when I think that the individuals who put chapter and verse into the Bible biffed one. Overall, really good. Verse 3 of chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms and places in Christ Jesus, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless without blame before him in love. Verse 5. Having predestined us to adoption as sons. Oh, it should have been that he chose us to be holy and without blame before him. In love, having predestined us to adoption as sons. There's just not, there's not a lot of those, but there are some of those. Use them, but be aware that sometimes it can goof up your ability to understand the whole because so much of the Bible is presented in parts because of chapters and verses added, of course, in the year 1560. Idea at Wretched.org. All right. This next question is from Sabrina. Todd, I'm a newer Christian and have engaged in theological discussions with a co-worker. He claims that the doctrine of the Trinity is a pagan belief, mm. citing acts and the emphasis on baptizing in the name of Jesus. Yeah, sure. I'm unsure if this is a widespread belief or not, but I do wonder if there can still be unity with those who reject the doctrine of the Trinity. Yeah, no, there's no unity. That's that's historically been affirmed in the church that the doctrine of the Trinity, you are going to see that in the Apostles' Creed, the most basic creed that we have. You'll see it in the uh, Nicene Creed, certainly, and definitely in the Athanasian Creed. It is clear that if we don't understand God right, we're in big trouble. And it defines for us three persons, one God. There is no escape. You can't escape this. I, 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 what, what el- how else can we explain that a man did miracles and, and claimed to have divine status and raised himself from the dead and received worship. What, what, what was he? Now, in fairness, there was a debate in the early church, but please note it was more of a debate on his humanity, not Jesus' divinity, because they got it. They, it was like, whoa, but how could divine be flesh? That was a, a an early wrangling that got resolved. And the only explanation for what we see in the Bible is that you, you see three distinct, I'll use the word entities. The best word, of course, is persons. But you see these three entities being described, appearing together, communicating to one another, and all possessing attributes of divinity. What, what, do, you, what do you do with that? The answer is the doctrine of the Trinity. So please petition your friend, take your friend to the Athanasian Creed and say, you got to please be right on this, because if you're biffing it, man, you're outside of historic understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity. And Jesus said, you're going to be damned. Don't don't biff this. Please don't be more clever than 2000 years of church history. Idea at wretched.org. All right. This next one comes from Anonymous. 
Todd, are family curses, sins of the father, real or no? No. No. Let's understand what God meant. This, well, how providential is this? Takes us back to Exodus 34, 6, it's probably verse 7. That he does not, he that he does not let the guilty go unpunished, and then he says that punishing the sins of the father on generation after generation. So does that mean the grandchild is being punished for the sins of the grandfather that he didn't even know? And the answer is no. How do you know? Ezekiel eighteen makes it clear, and Ezekiel eighteen actually is probably our best commentary on Exodus thirty four when it says, "Your sins are your sins." His sins are his sins. Dad's sins are dad's sins. Son's sins are son's sins, unless the son adopts the sins of the father and carries on in that sinful heritage. Then that is what is helping us to understand. He he visits generation upon generation. It's because sin, it has a trickle down effect. And a bad dad usually raises bad kids, not always, usually raises bad kids who follow in his footsteps, who then have kids who follow in his footsteps. But that does not mean that the son is paying for the sins of the father or being punished for the sins of the father. Not only would that be contrary to what we see in Exodus 8 or Ezekiel 18, it would be contrary to the entire tenor of the Bible that you individually must come before God God deals with you individually. He, you aren't, you aren't going to be able to pay for the sins of an. You can't even pay for your own sins, let alone the sins of your father. So be assured that God is not punishing you for the behavior of your great, 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 great grandfather. Idea at wretched.org. All right. This next one is from Chris. Todd, is it true that Jesus' name isn't actually Jesus and that Yeshua translates as Joshua? Okay. Mm is a fellow from Munich really named John? Because I looked at his German birth certificate and it says Johann. Ah, ah. No, you can't call it. It's, it's an English way of saying Joshua. God saves, and it is perfectly fine to call Yeshua Jesus, because the Bible gives us permission to do so. How do I know? Because we have a Greek New Testament. That wasn't the language that Jesus was speaking, at least not regularly, more like Aramaic and Hebrew. So the Bible gives us permission to use translation and to use names that are Anglo names that represent the original idea at wretched.org. Ha ha ha. <laughs> you know, there is a. Um... No, just go. <laughs> go. Todd, how should I respond to someone who questions the trustworthiness of the Old Testament while witnessing? You think I've got time for this question? <laughs> what was the question? I didn't even pay attention. How should I respond to someone who questions the trustworthiness of the Old Testament? Uh, well, I would say stop going to Andy Stanley's church. Hello! That was totally un... What? Uh, the holy... Peter so solves it for... Quote the New Testament. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. All Scripture... Inspired by God, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. The New Testament affirms that the Old Testament is inspired and it shouldn't be unhitched. Until tomorrow, go serve your king. <laughs> <laughs>